James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 19. Praise the Lord. And again, can't wait. When we get that banner, that sun will be um, taken care of. It starts shifting. Amen. You all have James chapter 1, verse 19. And it reads there, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Father, we love you. We're always careful to give you the honor the glory, and the praise. I ask, God, that you would take these next few minutes to minister to us, that we would learn to be better representatives of you. I ask in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen and amen. Go ahead and take your chairs. Has anybody ever been guilty of this? Um, this is a loaded question because I think we all have. Of saying something before we were allowed to process what we were saying in our brain, and then it sort of came out of our mouth, and then we said, "Oh God, what?" Well, and it's too late. You know, I, I call it verbal uh, vomit, right? And it just comes out of our mouth. And it's too late. Anybody? Come on now. Just don't, don't leave me hanging. You know what I'm talking about? It's when you open mouth and insert foot. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very guilty of that quite often, especially when I was younger. Fortunately, I had a dad who would always, like, preach to me. What's wrong with you, boy? You need to think before you speak. He would always say that to me. And then I would say, well, dad, I thought you thought. Oh, my gosh. I could not say I thought before my dad. My dad said, well, what do you mean you thought? If you thought and you didn't know, you should have made sure. So first I had to think before I speak, but then I just couldn't thought. I had to make sure. Man, I was always in trouble because I never thought. I just, you know how we did it? We just say it. It's too late. Mark, there's a great quote by Mark Twain. And he, he said this, it is better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. Huh? Plato, who was a, a great scholar of the ages, he wrote this, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. Well, let me, while, I'm, while I'm on a roll, Winston Churchill once said, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. So my, my whole topic here this morning or this afternoon is we need, let me say like this, before you speak, think. 
Let me say that again. Before you speak, think. Alan Redpen is quoted as, as saying this, and this is the topic of the theme of my sermon this morning. He said this, think before you speak. Is it true? T. Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Or is it kind? See, sometimes we don't understand that. We just think because we have two lips underneath our nose that we should use them. The only needed necessity you need for those two things is to open them when you're eating. Other than that, we need to learn to think before we speak. See, the first thing we have to look at, is it truthful? That word truth, it's used in various forms in Scripture, in different senses. Truthful denotes that which is opposed to falsehood. Right? Proverbs 12, 17 reads like this. A truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. It's amazing that, that we would rather be a momentary thrust into somebody's life than an eternal value to people. See, we have to be truthful. Hmm? Before you speak, is it true? Isaiah 59, understanding this problem, wrote this. We know we have rebelled and denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we've been, carefully planning our deceitful lives. Speaking of, of those people who want it their way rather than being truthful. See, truthful means fidelity. You ever heard of that word fidelity? Fidelity, it's faithfulness to a person, a cause, a belief, demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support. I'm, I have fidelity. Synonyms to fidelity or truthfulness is, is loyalty, allegiance, obedience. So we've lost that ideal of truthfulness. We don't care about loyalty. We don't care about allegiance. Who could care less about obedience? Fidelity also means being, uh, uh, having sexual faithfulness to a spouse. But in this day and age, it's, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you who to suck it to, right? We think it's all cool. It ain't cool. That kind of language, that kind of ideal, all it does is get you, get you diseases that, that even penicillin can't cure. Deceitful lives. See, the doctrine of Christ is called the truth of the gospel. Right? And we need to live in the truth of the gospel. When the apostles Paul spoke of truth, he was addressing a pressing issue that was hurting in the church. And he's talking to Timothy and he said, look, we have a problem in the church. He wasn't talking about the world. He wasn't talking about, because we know the world has a problem. But the, the problem is not so much the world. That's why we're here. We're here because we have the, the solution to the problem. But when the problem of the world creeps into the church, then we have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul is talking to the, the pastor there, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Very interesting. He said, you know this. Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, 
disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And that's all bad, but this is even worse than all of it. And they will act religious. Let me say that. And they will what? Act religious. But they will reject the power that can make them godly. So Paul is telling Timothy very clearly in the last verse, he says, stay away from people like that. Some of you might say, I can't stay away from myself. Then you need to change who you is. Amen? Now, if you look at that scripture, Paul lists 22 things people will become for a lack of truth. There are 22 things in there. Uh, and you can list them, and we could talk, we could have a sermon on each one of those things. Ungrateful, consider nothing sacred, disobedient from parents, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, no self-control, cruel, hateful, what is good, betraying, friends, reckless, puffed up with pride, wanting pleasure instead of God, acting religious. And we could go on and on and on. But the root of all this is they fail to understand we have to live by truth. And because most have a difficulty with truth, it's a wonder when they speak, nothing, no truth comes out. Huh? So our Lord himself says, I am the way and the truth. Scripture declares we either stay away from people like that, or we, we hang with them, or we follow the truth. So that, that, that's your choice. We all have to make that, that, that profound choice. What do we want to follow? Right? See, there are, and, and that scripture, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, you got to watch out for people. But he continues his conversation with the young pastor because there was issues going on in the church. And then he says this to Timothy in line of what we just put out. He said, there are, there are two kinds of people. There are certain kinds of people that work their way into the church. He said that. In verse 6, he goes, There are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are unable to understand the truth. It's an amazing there were people who come on and say flattering things uh, to the wrong person, scratching ears rather than saying truth. And because this world, us in general, we're so burdened with guilt, sometimes because of our guilt and what we know we shouldn't be doing, but we're doing it anyway. When people come on with flowery words, they sneak in and deceive people. And you don't even realize it. That's very prevalent. But if we... Stand for truth and always speak truth let, and let others do what they may and God will deal with them. Our job is when we speak, we speak truth. Amen? The second thing you need to do before you speak and you need to think, but you need to think, are my words helpful? 
right? Because some people think, well, you know, I have this gift or I can do this and I need to give you a piece of my mind. Listen, most of you, let me say, most of us, we don't have enough of our mind to give away. So keep it to yourself. Because some people say, oh, I got to give you a piece of my mind. You can't afford to give it. Let me, let me, let me, let me you need to keep all you can, you need all you can have, right? Amen. We have to think, when we say something, is it helpful? Just because, well, well, well uh, it's true, I know what they do, but is it helpful? So you can't, you, okay, just because it's true, look, if you're ugly, it's not my job to say, hey, you're ugly. Because that is not helpful, is it? No, it's not helpful, just because it's true. No. You, is it helpful? So you have to combine truthful with what? Helpful. So I think we all can agree from time to time that we need help. Amen? We need help. So the Lord recognized our plight and he gave us help when we needed it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he's building the church and he said, he says this, in the church of God, he has appointed, first of all, prof, apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, and those having gifts of healing and those able to help. Right? We need to be people who are helpful, not hurtful, helpful. Amen. That word help, besides its ordinary significance of assistance in general, we find a lot of passages in the New Testament in the Greek, which, which is more of a technical application that we, we, we miss it. The word helps, it is a nautical apparatus. Help in the Greek. This is where they get it. And it's, it's a nautical apparatus for securing a vessel when leaking. So they have to secure the vessel by means of rope or chain. And sometimes we don't understand it because ve vessels in those days were made out of wood, normally by plank. And they were planked together and they were put together and they were sealed with pitch. But when the storm came, the pitch and the plank would begin to separate. And so in order to help the ship survive a storm, they would take ropes or chains and wrap them around the boat like this, right? That was called help. See, we have to be people who help during the storm. Not, I told you so, I hope you drowned. Help. See, this most, this type of help, brother, is most needed in the emergency of a storm. We're in this world, and this world is often a storm, is it not? Sometimes, you know, we have relation problems, we have business problems, we have family problems, we have things going on, right? Bills that keep coming week in, week after week, month after month. We all need help. And sometimes we're in a storm and we don't need somebody to say, I told you so, and get on you. Sometimes we just need somebody to wrap a rope around us to keep us together. Say, so it's going to be okay. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. I want to help you. Hmm? See, Paul understood this. When he was sharing this, he wasn't just talking about the side of his neck. He had a great experience when he was on his ship, and he was on his way to Tarsus, and he was in a ship when a storm hit. And in Acts 27, verse 14, we pick up the story. It says there, very, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. 
The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it. In other words, it was so hard, so tough, we just let go and let the wind, let the storm take it where it would. Verse 16, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed robes under the ship itself. They helped the ship in order to hold it together, together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandboard of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. Help. See, Paul understood that's the kind of help that we need as Christians. That's the kind of help that we need to survive in this world. Help. And listen, Victory Outreach, we're a place of help. Oh, we may not have it all together, you know, and we may be doing some things wrong, and that's because I ain't perfect, right? You ain't perfect either. None of us are perfect. But I tell you what, we help people. Yeah. We help people. Yeah. <laughs> With, with, with limited resources, maybe not the best education or the most well-trained staff. But listen, my friend, we help. And you can't, no one can t- talk about that. Because the most people that talk about us like a, in any kind of form, they ain't helping nobody but themselves. We help. See, when we think before we speak, we must realize that people need God. God's help. Hmm? People need God's help. Hmm? Not just our help, God's help. And that's different. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, my, one of my pet peeves is, uh, is, is um, that place downtown where they feed everybody. Not that I don't want people being fed, I do. However, I want people being fed that want help. I don't want people just being fed because they're hungry. The Bible says that if you don't work, you don't eat. Right? The Bible says clearly. So when people want help, they want help, good. Then let's feed them. Because they want help. Some people don't want help. They just want to be fed. Huh? See, that, that, that's like Bentley. My, 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 we got a new puppy. What's the guy's name again? Bo. Bo. He don't want help. He just want puppy food. Amen? So I got to train him. Put a leash on him. Amen? We must realize that, that people need God's help, not necessarily our help. God's help. So everything we do has to be, what? God motivated. Psalms 108, 12, 12, reads like this. Give us aid against the enemy, for the help of man is worthless. Psalm 22 says this, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. So there's a difference. Just because you feel sorry you want to do something doesn't mean you're giving God's help. Right? I, you know, you have some parents. I've seen parents. Not my parents, but some parents said, you know, my kids are using drugs. So I'd rather have them use drugs in the basement than out in the street. What kind of help is that? Huh? That is like, who does that? If you did it, don't raise your hand. Because you need help. Amen? We have to speak words of help. Amen? Amen. Think. Next inspirational inspiration that word defined is the, the supernatural action of the holy spirit on the mind 
It's like when they, they say the Bible was inspired of God, but written by man. Why? God moved on men and inspired them to write down words. That's why the Bible never contradicts itself. It is in perfect harmony. Why? Because God inspired into the heart, into the mind of man to write down his story, God's biography called the Bible. This inspiration is the power from heaven that gave Scripture authority. It's just not a book. This is not just a novel to read. No, this this is an inspired word that can change lives. It changed my life. It changed your life. This is not just words. These are inspirational words. Inspiration, simply not, not merely your own words, but the Word of God. The Word of God. So if you're going to share the Word of God, well, first criteria to sharing the Word of God is you've got to know the Word of God. Hmm? Now, that's good when you know John 3, 16, but you've got to add to that. Then you know, you add a little bit more to that. And then you add a little bit more, but you've got to continue to add a little bit more and a little bit more. And that way you're not guilty of just using, sharing your thought. Hello, somebody. See, we want true religion. Most people don't practice true religion. James 1.26 had a handle on this. Something about James. Maybe because he was Jesus' brother and, and Jesus used to hip him. But James understood what true religion was. And, and what a false religion was. Amen? And he writes there, opening up his book, and he's sharing to the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Now, notice that. James put everyone's walk of faith Everybody's existence with the Creator on their tongue. Think about that. So everything that comes out of your mouth will affect your relationship with God. So he says, if you can't control this, then your religion is what? Worthless. Wow. So that would tell us, listen, we need to watch our tongue, and if we're going to speak, they need to be inspirational words. Huh? We need, how we do it? We need inspirational words combined with our humanness. Okay? Because that's the best way. See, Jesus is infallible because he is the word of God. But he's intelligible. When I say intelligible, I mean... We can understand him because he lived among us. See, if Jesus never left heaven, was just in heaven and talking, telling us how we should live on earth, we look at him like, yeah, right. How, what do you know? You've just been in heaven, right? But because he came down and he lived here, his words are intelligible. In other words, they make sense. Are you with me? So we must study the word, align them with our life, and then share inspirational stories. Why? Because my life is more intelligible to you than all the scripture. Look, I, I, I got a two masters. I got a double masters and an EDS. But that means diddly squat. That's a very academic word. Diddly squat. 
Right? Why? Because it, it was more important is, you know what? Check this out. I smoked dope. I OD'd for the first time in the fifth grade. I did heroin, PCP, LSD before I went into high school. And God delivered me and set me free and put my mind straight. Now dig this. People understand that more than the divinity of God and the humanity of man. Correct? So what am I saying? You have to take your life, understand God's word, and then tie them to what God's principle and share something inspirational. That will make a difference. Not all the, well, all the head knowledge and all the Bible and the theology and all that stuff is good, but theology doesn't scare the devil. Theology never shook the devil up. No, no, no. What shakes the devil up is somebody who has a bona fide Holy Ghost experience with the Holy Spirit. They have an anointing, and they know when they, they walk into a room, the devil sees them, and the devil starts to shaking. Why? Because that's not theology, my friend. That is neology. We're not talking about some, some kind of thesis or topic that you read about in the, in the Reader's Digest. We're talking about something that happened in your life where God delivered you, where God set you free. Yeah. That's what we're talking about inspirational oh because they can take all kind of stuff away from me but they can't take away my experience with God I know what God did for me oh yes I do huh my mother was a witch I've seen demonic oppression I've seen spirits I've witnessed spells being cast and come true I've seen all that but you know what nothing matches to the power nothing matches to the greatness of my God none of it none of it Huh? See, the term scriptures means the word of God. Scriptures, the scriptures have an authority that no other writings have. That's, that's why they call them the oracles of God. Divine utterances. Inspirational words. Listen, my friend. Inspirational words bring liberty. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. Uh, inspirational words bring liberty. Liberty describes the point in time. Listen, because liberty don't mean I'm free, free last, free willy, free. You know, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that kind of liberty. Oh, I killed my number. I ain't talking about that either. No, that's not liberty. No, that, that, that's just getting rid of what you deserve. I'm talking about liberty. Liberty describes the point in time. When your will becomes one with God's will, that's liberty. Why? Because nothing in this world matters to you. Venga que venga. I'm free at last. Free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. Why? Because I'm, I'm liberated. Huh? No, nothing here holds me down. These things are not that important to me. What's important to me is my walk with God. Huh? What's important to me is my purpose with God. And everything else flows from that. Every, I mean everything, everything else from my relationship with my wife, to my kids, to my church, to my ministry. Everything else flows from that. And when my will is right with his will, listen, my friend, I am liberated. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Huh? See, when his spirit acts in your spirit, you're liberated. Because your will, you've been transformed. Liberty causes your, your individual free play in the sphere of his inspiration. Huh? That's why where the Lord's spirit is, there's liberty. Not with your spirit. 
People say, well, if I have more in the bank, I'll be free. No, you won't. If you have more in the bank, that money will own you. Every dead president will say, come here, boy. Because you will be its boy. So, next one. Necessary. It's rational and it's unnecessary. See, necessary is a tough, tough one. I was sitting here and I go, of thinking of the thinking strategies. That's what I'm calling the thinking strategies, right? Truthful, helpful, right? Right? Uh, inspirational, necessary. This is the hardest. Why? Because the idea of necessary is subjective. I like that word. Subject, you know what I mean by subjective? Subjective means it's based on personal opinion. It's subject to you. And that's where the problem is. So here it is. Is it necessary? All that means, do you think it's necessary? The problem is, in a room like this, nobody thinks the same. Right? And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> two people in one room don't think the same. You say, how could two people cause so much problem? Easy. They got married. And one thinks it's necessary, the other one doesn't think it's necessary. Well, this one says it's necessary. No, it's not necessary. It is necessary. No, it's not necessary. In my opinion, your opinion. Right? I just described marriages. And here's the problem. See, the enemy of man's opinion. Can I say that? Because man's opinion needs a good enemy. Because man's opinion is going to get you in trouble. Because, like I said, two people, they're going to have different opinions. So the enemy, are you ready for the enemy of God's opinion? Very simple. The enemy of a man's opinion, rather, is God's word. That's it. Ne is it necessary? So, if you can say, what I have to say is necessary, why? Because this is God's purpose. Then say it. It's necessary. Or... If the Pope will ask you a question and you're under oath, you better say it. Why? Because it's necessary. And the Bible talks about that. All the other stuff is not necessary. I'm sorry, ladies, your opinion is not necessary. Men, vice versa, your opinion is not necessary. No, this is something that you want to say. Because you feel it's necessary. And that's the problem. Before you speak, is it really necessary? That's a hard one, huh? Because everybody's necessary is different. Correct? It is. In Acts 12, 1, or 122, no, 121, I'm sorry. It reads like this. And he says this. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went out in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So here he's saying... It's necessary. Why? Because this had to do with God's purpose. God's purpose. So, let's, I'll use me and my wife. My wife does something wrong, whatever, which is hard. She never does anything wrong. If she does, and I say, okay, because I, in my mind, because I was very guilty of this, right? They know. In my mind, I said, I, I, I got to tell her and show her. Remember? And in my mind, I said, it was necessary. Why? Because I'm, you know, then we try to get holy. Because I'm trying to help her. I'm trying to, trying to enlighten her. And that may be true in my mind. But if it's not according to God's purpose, it's not really necessary. It's just something I want to do. So let's be honest. Most of us don't want to talk because it's necessary. We just want to talk 
because we want to do it. It's not necessary. Oh, my goodness. Then the woman says, you don't know my husband. And the husband says, vice versa. Philippians 1. Let's keep continue. Verse 24. But it is, now this is Paul speaking to the church. And he says this, because he's getting ready to die. He, he wants to die. Let's put it that way. But he says this. But it is more necessary for you. Now Paul said it's more necessary for you, not for him. It's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again and your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Necessary. Everything else is just humanity. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to get in the middle of your argument. So I don't want you to get mad at me. But when we think before we speak, wisdom rises up. Wisdom. Another situation that I find that's necessary, and I said earlier, is when you're speaking to authorities. In Romans 13.5, Paul is there in, uh, in the Roman, uh, under Roman authorities. And he says there, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Look at this. Not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So when we're talking about necessary, there's not too many things. So based on my findings, most things, say most things, are not necessary. When you boil them down, life and death are necessary. The most needed words are those that give life. The second most needed words are those that free people from death. So we need to think before we speak. Ephesians 4.14, I'm coming to my last point. It says this before I get there. Then we will no longer be infants, infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here, blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. And that's the key. Instead, speaking the truth in love. So, if we we're going to make it necessary, then you need to begin with love. Speaking the truth in love will tell you if it's necessary. Now, if you just want to win an argument, then what I'm saying is not your cup of tea. But if you want to speak that is necessary, then you're going to have to have some... some um, Ability to remember to bridle the tongue. Remember we talk about control the tongue. That's why I opened up with James. Because this type of thinking, necessary, right? Inspirational, truthful, helpful. This type of thinking helps you rein your tongue. Whoa, Nelly. Whoa, boy. Whoa, why? Because if you learn to do that, then your religion is valid. Without this type of bridle holding back a little bit, your religion it's worthless. I don't know about you, but I want my religion to count. Amen? And last, as I close, is kind. Kind. See, Job, writing from the experience of his pain, 
he wrote that we should be kind. Towards the end, or toward the middle of the book, Job says, For the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friend. Kindness. When you're in it, you want kindness. Right? Nobody wants to be told. Don't you hate it when you're going through it and somebody says, I told you so. At that moment, you don't want to say nothing. You just want to slap them. Who needs that when you're going through it? We, we want some, you know, give me something, man, a kind word. And Job says, man, when you're going through the storm, when you're in it, man, when you're suffering, when you're struggling, you just want your friend to show you kindness. Not to tell you how wrong you are. You probably figured that out on your own. To show you kindness. Go buy you a coffee. A diet donut. Something. Amen? Well, at least tell them their diet. Amen? Praise the Lord. See, kindness in Hebrew is the word hesed. I like that word, hesed. This term is, is also once rendered kind, but it's also rendered as kindly throughout the Old Testament. Kindly. Hesed is such a rich word. I mean, it's deep that there is no satisfactory English equivalent. It's more than kindness. Huh? In the Old Testament, it basically denotes an attitude and behavior that displays faithfulness to an obligation, faithfulness to, to a relative, faithfulness to a friend, faithfulness to a host, faithfulness to a guest, faithfulness to a master, faithfulness to a subject. Huh? So it's not just kind, but it's faithfulness. Paul wrote about God's kindness. And he says this in Romans 2, and I'm coming in for landing, believe me. Do you think lightly, check this out, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What does he say? He says the kindness of God. See how deep that is? Although the Holy Spirit, we know the Holy Spirit leads you, but he leads you in, in such a fashion that it's not intimidating, it's not frightening, it's not harsh, it's kindness. And what he's doing, his kindness is so great that it leads you to repentance and ultimately salvation and relationship with Jesus. Kindness. So when you talk to people, we have to be kind. Because listen, every time I talk to somebody, that's a soul. I don't care what the situation is, how much I've been burnt, how much they owe me, how much they lied to me. I don't care what they've done to me. My mind is the kindness of God, and this kindness is what could save their soul. So that's what I got. I got to operate from that type of platform. Not, well, uh, God told me that, that you have this, and, and you're a no-good sinner, and I'm here because I'm the prophet of God, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to correct you. That is not a prophet of God. That is a demonic spirit that has convinced you to be an idiot. Because God doesn't do that. God is kind. Amen. He may point out, even when he points out my flaw, he's kind to me. And he points it out, and he's so kind that I'm hurt, that I've hurt him. And his kindness causes me to say, okay, i got to stop. Because I deserve hell, I deserve punishment, and what does he give me? Kindness. That motivates me to change. 
Not your harsh words or, or you saying that I told you, look at all, that's what you deserve. That doesn't make people change. That makes people hate you. Kindness. Let us be kind. The concept became prominent in the history of Israel, particularly in relationship to a covenant. Ancient Israel would have covenants, and he shared with, with the Arabian nations in this tradition in which family and tribal bonds had a primary importance, right? And so because of these primary importance of the bonds, the term hesed was used to designate the behavior to fulfill that covenant. Hesed, kindness, faithfulness. And they would, they would fulfill these obligations to the family and the tribal members in this important relationship. Why? Because they understood they had to be kind. I was trying to think of the name of the movie where the, the, the seals were trapped. And you're gonna, some of you are going to tell me the name right now. And, and, and they were being traced by the Taliban. Huh? Lone survivor. That's the one I knew. The lone survivor. And this, listen, the only reason that man survived, the last one survived, is because he ended up in this Pashtun town. And they were governed by this type of kindness, right? And what happened, they brought him in and he was hurting. And they took care of him and they nurtured him. And when the, the, the Taliban came, their kindness said, we would rather die fighting all of you than allow you to hurt this man. It was their kindness that saved that lone survivor. That's the kind of kindness we're talking about. The kindness that'll fight and die for a brother. Not the kindness that'll just, oh, poor, poor thing. No, it's way beyond our concept of kindness. They put their entire tribe on the line for a man, for a stranger, in order to be kind. Kind. That's an amazing thing to me. The tribal kindness is relevant to our being adopted into God's family. When people come here, I don't care what stripe, huh, what color, what race, what background, where they've been, we're called to be kind. Amen. Huh? Kind. That type of kind that people are looking for. Huh? And his kindness, he saves us. So in our kindness, God allows us. If we move in kindness, listen, people will come to know Jesus. Why? Because we're acting like Jesus. We're being a good representative of God. And when we speak, we speak kindness. Yeah. Kindness. As I close. Titus 3, 4 reads like this. 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. When the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, so that's why I pray that we learn to think, think before we speak. Let, let's not be like little Tommy when he went with his mom to the restaurant. They go to the restaurant, and little Tommy and the little, his sister Sally were there. And Tommy was being potty trained. And the baby was there, and the mother said, Tommy! She looks around and did you have a mistake? No, Mom, I didn't have a mistake because being potty trained. He's in a restaurant, 30 people all around. So she shakes the baby. Sally, nope, the baby's cool. Also, she smells something again. 
Tommy, Tommy, are you sure you didn't make a mistake? No, Mommy, I didn't make a mistake. She's eating his, no, Tommy, are you sure you didn't make a mistake? All of a Tommy got upset, got up, pulled his pants down, and bent over and said, farts, Mommy, farts. No, no mistake. Huh? Because sometimes people speak so fast, smells like farts to me. Well, you didn't know I was going to end up with that one, huh? We can't be like that. Can't. It's better to go and walk away with things left not said. Than, than to share your opinion. Even if you are right. So what? You don't get a grade. You don't get a score because you're right. Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Does it inspire? <laughs> right? Is it necessary? Is it kind? So if you went through those little steps, we would say less. Because most of the time we would eliminate the very thoughts we were going to say based on that criteria. And we'd be a happier people. We'd be a more respected people. We would be a loved people. Because we took the time to think. Let's think. Oh, I wish I would have learned this a long time ago. I look back at my life, I would have averted a lot of trouble, unnecessary trouble. I would have skipped a lot of pain if I would have just think, Al, think. James 3, 5, the last scripture, reads like this. I'm going to close with this. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boast. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. Such a thing to be tamed. Is it doable? Of course it is. If we just took a little time to think about it. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.